We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So, man, it's good to, it's good to be back, though. I mean, like, I, th- I was looking at my Skype, and it said, you haven't chatted, like, on Skype with Chris Taylor in nine months. That, <laughs> I was just like... I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was 2020, well, nine, I guess. In nine months, yes. Nine of the longest months ever. Yeah, they were... Uh, it's, yeah, but... it's, it's definitely... Uh, more than it felt it's felt like more than an era in doctor mm. who terms um you could say that we, we were pregnant for nine months and we've we've birthed a brand new podcast i like that, that i like that idea looks a little bit like the old podcast but under the hood it's all different yeah that's a that's a charitable way of describing what 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 went down and i'm gonna go with it it's good it's kind of revisionist history but you know what we're talking about a show where time is fluid right Exactly. Time can be rewritten. Time can be rewritten. That's it. That's the line. Um, <laughs> you're good with the lines. Um, but yeah, so so we're back. You know, we're doing podcasts again. We'll hopefully be a little more on the regular. Um, this is, of course, the the Pull to Open podcast. It's a Doctor Who podcast from a couple guys who love the show, even though you might be hard-pressed to, to feel that sometimes <laughs> when we're talking about it. <laughs> Um, we, we we criticize because we love exactly we're here to love yeah because uh, who do you love um <laughs> to borrow a good name suggestion that we had uh we almost called the podcast yeah. that and then I, I still like it in my i but... still like it too in my my hurry to upload i uh the first time i picked pull to open and you know things aren't permanent again time can be rewritten. I, I like pull to open too um yeah. Maybe maybe we can also investigate whether there's a, a randomizer-based name out there. Oh, I like it. Switch the podcast to, because I think that is, and that's probably what we should get to yeah. discussing straight up, is what makes this podcast different from sure. every other Doctor Who podcast out there, is the fact that we, are, we, are, we have our phases set to random. Uh, we are evading the Black Guardian with our TARDIS randomizer. Exactly. Um, we, we pick an episode every week uh that we're going to talk about we pick it up the pre well, we're going to pick it the previous week so at the end of this episode we're going to activate our tardis randomizer and we're going to look at all of all the seasons of doctor who so from 1963 till uh you know the most recent jody whittaker stuff and uh pick a season uh mm-hmm. and then within that season we will pick an episode and yeah, we, we are using uh, we're using highly advanced randomizer technology from Google. Um, <laughs> the, the Google random number generator is how we do this. Basically, pick a number between one and what is it now? Thirty eight. Mm, uh, yeah. Total Doctor Who. Seasons. I think it's a matter so of, we, as you say, controversy uh, as to how many um, seasons there are, because there were 26 in the original. Well, yes. And it, honestly, if you look at the news, the new series screwed everything up because they had all these specials and some people consider mm. those their own thing. Uh, production wise, they were kind of their own thing, but we're, we're going to treat those as kind of like just part of uh, David Tennant's last season. 
and all the Christmas specials we're yep. going to attach, and and New Year's specials will attach to the appropriate season there uh, next to. So that yeah, I'm I'm going by other advanced technology here, uh, known as the Wikipedia list of Doctor Who episodes, 2005 to present. Nice. Uh, which yeah, so however Wikipedia organizes their series is is good. We're not obviously counting series 13 because it doesn't exist yet. We don't have the technology, unfortunately, to jump into the future to watch Doctor Who episodes. But stay tuned. Uh, but stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that we are never in this podcast going to have this technology. We'll we'll work on it. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, maybe not by the end end of this podcast, but do stay tuned to the end of this podcast where we will activate all the great technology we've just been yeah. talking about, and then um, pick another episode, the one that we will record next. Yes. All right. So we did this. We did this offline. We we had a little. Right. Uh, we had a little call to yeah. get the gang back together. We had the uh, and, we, this, uh, the Genesis story of this new era of pull to open. So we did, yes. yep. And and it took us to season twenty one, um, which is Peter Davison's last season. And that, that has special resonance for you, right, Peter? I, I can't tell you, Chris, how happy I was that the, uh, the first episode back was one uh one of the ones I grew up with. So I started with Davison way back in I must have been like nine or ten, uh, when I first discovered Doctor Who on PBS. And they were doing daily back then. So they were doing uh, episodes from Davison five days a week. And they also had sort of some full adventures from Tom Baker on the weekends. And mm. uh, so Davison was, was my doctor. He was my first doctor. And uh, I, I, I'm was for a lot, the longest time obsessed with that era of the show. It was, um, you know, as a child of the eighties, uh, I was very like, you know, it's so eighties that era, like it's mm. so incredibly eighties and John Nathan Turner, really like is. really eighty. 80s fied the show um you know obviously at the time that was just doing beacon it modern and and contemporary with other things being produced but you know looking back it's like holy cow they really leaned into 80s um they, they did and and in the show we'll we'll discuss uh just how 80s things got because i think in a in a way what we selected was was like the height of the 80s uh but we, we should end the suspense there are seven uh, serials and and this is, I think is an important distinction just to not to dwell too much on the randomizer and the logistical details of it but uh, what we're watching are serials or stories right versus so that mean in the new series that's going to mean generally one episode sometimes two and in the old series it's going to mean four and sometimes six and whenever we get to the war games you know like 10 episodes right so it's it's gonna be a lot uh but there are just seven um right. by the way uh, we should also say trial of a time lord if we ever do that season oh I, yeah I just up front that we're gonna treat it as separate stories uh i think the, the we way are? the way god intended <laughs> I, I should... you know what i think Wouldn't that's the say... right call that's the right call yeah. um because Otherwise we'd frankly i don't have the time, the time bro yeah. <laughs> I I tried to defend Trial of a Time Lord at the time. Um but yeah. Well, uh anyway, uh, let's let's hope we avoid Colin Baker well, we're just not, now. We're not here to talk about Trial of a Time Lord though. We are here yeah, exactly. to talk about uh um, But speaking of Colin Baker, 
uh, he comes in at the end of season 21. That is officially the end of the season, the twin dilemma. So we, we had a one in seven chance of opening this new version of the podcast with a Colin Baker serial. Oh, that's true. Uh, yes. That's very, yeah. that's a very unusual season to start or sorry, end the season with his first story. Um, yeah. I don't think they've ever done that before or since. Yeah. But... We also had a one in seven chance of, of hitting the caves of Androsani. The classic. Widely renowned as one of the best, if not the best, Doctor Who serial of all time. I believe it was uh, it was voted that uh, in Doctor Who magazine a, a number of years ago now, but uh, I, yes. I know they do their surveys every year, so it might have been... I'm sure it's still up there, but... It was recently overtaken by Day of the Doctor, which I think is the right call. That is the right call. Uh, but yeah, every other Doctor Who podcast would take you straight to the caves of Androzani. And and we'd be talking about what we think about that classic show and what does it say about, you know, we'd, we'd be looking at the pinnacle of Doctor Who. No, the randomizer does not do that for us. The randomizer takes us to the episode and the story before the case of Androzani. That's right. We landed on Planet of Fire. Planet of uh, Fire. That is story 134 and yeah. uh, serial five of this season. And it is actually an episode that... I was a little bit like I was obsessed with all of Davison, but I was for some reason, particularly this one, I found interestingly like I watched it a lot. I remember when I back in the day, and as I wow. wa I hadn't watched it for for probably a couple of decades um, going into this, but I, I still remember so many of the beats and so many of the reveals. That's it was very interesting, fascinating, yeah. Because sort of... I definitely watched it at a time. But I have no memory of it at all, and I was going to say, I was going to say the little remembered story, Planet of Fire, but uh, but that would be wrong because you remembered it. You carried the flame. <laughs> I carried the years. flame. Um, <laughs> you know, you I carried thought the flame for Loka. It was it was such a like this whole season, and we'll get to the episode specifically in a second. This whole season, like particularly the end, is so momentous. You know, I mean, it brings back old uh, enemies. Um, it has uh, companions leaving, companions coming in. Obviously, there's a regeneration in the, in the Caves of Androzani. Um, and uh, we can get to it later, but like one companion, which was barely a companion, but like sort of ends in the most brutal way. Um, and they they even tried to sort of give some finality uh, in this episode to one of the major villains. So it was it's like there was a lot going on in this season. Um, yeah, it, it had a sort of wrapping all of Doctor Who up feel to it. Exactly. It's a little um, weird. They, they were trying to, load, like, it's almost like Peter Davison was like, as John Nathan Turner at some point, like, can, can I do all this stuff before I go? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, sure. I'll bring back some I don't dogs. know if the BBC is going to fire me, so I'm just going to jam it all in and accidentally create one of the greatest uh, stories of Doctor Who in the process um, and also Planet of Fire. Um, but well, I, I wasn't sure what you were referring to there. <laughs> I mean, like, it's pretty good. Anyway, we'll get to the judgment on this episode a little later, but like this one um, opens up pretty interestingly. Like, I mean, you're, you're kind of right away, uh, you know, there's, they spent some money on this one. Uh, yes, they, they spent some money on the plane tickets to Lanzarote. Yeah, so and, uh, and they actually said it in Lanzarote. Uh, so we yes. begin with this, uh, you know, these people doing sort actually, of an archaeological actually, dig. Before before we jump into that, can I can I just mention how the tandem, TARDIS randomizer worked extra randomly in in my case? Please do. Uh, and and we should also mention Britbox, 
which is how we're watching this. Um, and if they ever want to sponsor the show... <laughs> I, I was going to say, unless BritBox wants to sponsor the show, I think BritBox is kind of the nemesis of the show, because I could not click on Planet of Fire directly. Their UI uh, I've just put some major flaws in it, and I couldn't... I, could not for the life of me trying repeatedly restarting my apple tv um you know restarting logging out of britbox logging back in could not click a plan fire directly the only way and this this is very tardis like i could get there is to go to the end of resurrection of the daleks so strange man (laughs) i've got to say so this is just a general comment i have about streaming apps i think once you get outside your major ones like your netflix and your um, Amazon Prime and those kind of things, which are you know obviously backed by big technology companies or are big technology companies, um, you kind of like the, the quality of them and the reliability of them sort of drops rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I didn't have that problem specifically, but I will say in trying to watch um, Planet of Fire on my uh, Fire TV, and I have the little sort of square <laughs> puck that is maybe two or three years old now. Um, Very appropriate. I uh, the the audio was out of sync, and I couldn't for the life huh. of me fix it. Like it was just slightly, it's just slightly enough to annoy me, you know, that it wasn't syncing up to the lips. Um, but I lived with it, you know. Yeah. I got through it; it was fine. But um, again, I, I don't, you know, don't think it's necessarily by design a BritBox. I just think, uh, and I I checked on my phone. I thought for a second, it, is it the is it the print? Did they do a bad dub? And no, it's actually perfectly synced on my phone. Um, so clearly the raw material is okay. Uh, it's just for whatever reason the app on my Fire TV uh, does not does not uh, sync it properly. So that's a little so weird. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know. And, and, and hopefully Fruitbox it's just is also one. It's one of the few apps that unfortunately makes you uh, create a registration and log in before you can uh, before you can watch it and and won't restore your purchases or anything like that if you go through Apple. Oh wow! Sort of use of that. So stay tuned uh, yeah, for our so other the- podcast streaming app <laughs> review coming up <laughs> shortly to uh, the podcast app that you love most. Um, but, but yeah, I think if, if people are listening to this, they and you know maybe they want to check out Planet Fire. Maybe they too have been holding a torch for it for years. Like you know, they're going to need to use Britbox because that is the, as far as I understand, the only way to watch the classic series unless you're in the UK. Yes, I believe so. That you, they, it's you know you can't. It's hard to keep track of what's on which service, but you know, apart unless you're mm-hmm. going to go really old school and buy a bunch of DVDs, um, or or Blu-rays these days. I mean, these days, man, I sound so old. Um, Kids yeah. these days are the Blu-rays. <laughs> Kids are the Blu-rays. They're iPhones. Oh. My day, we didn't have any of that. We had to wait every week for a new show. Kids we in the like- box. I know that that was something I was thinking throughout this experience was like, I actually waited a week between these so-so episodes. Well, funny you say that. Um, I and that, that was, sort of enhanced it. I decided once I, you know, realized we were doing an old episode and we were doing uh, something that was episodic, I actually watched this serialized through four nights. Oh. So I watched part one, then I wait and part two, and I actually think there was a two-day gap between two and three and then four. And then... Uh, which was interesting. I wanted to see if I could feel that, like, ooh, I want to see what's next. And and yeah. uh, I kind of got there. Uh, and we'll get to it. But well, one of the episode cliffhangers is really, really good. Um, 
Interesting. So I think I can tell which one you mean. I'm sure there you can. Three that are really not good. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so so I so I landed in Resurrection of the Daleks. You know, there's mm-hmm. all of which is to say Britbox is our nemesis. Uh, a B Britbox. Let's talk about sponsorship, uh, and this could change. Um, see i landed in resurrection of the daleks and Hmm. it sort of felt like the tardis was taking me there for a reason uh because it is you know it's january 2021 we're recording this uh the previous doctor who i'd watched was uh revolution of the daleks is it the the the, right the latest jody whittaker um so to go from that in which we have daleks and say goodbye to companions to the last episode of resurrection of the daleks being forced to watch that to, to get into Planet of Fire, where we have lots of Daleks and say goodbye to our companion, Tegan. Um, right. It, it felt meaningful. It felt like the randomness had brought me to the right place. So and it offers a bit of context for the beginning. Um, yes. I've got to say, we're not here to review Resurrection of the Daleks. Hopefully, hopefully that's next week. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, I I, I feel I find Keegan's leaving scene very epic. Uh, I think mm. it's it's like Janet Fielding, who you really watch her grow as an actress throughout the the her time there. Um, she really nails it. The music's great. The the back and forth is great. Um, you really feel it. And I think in sort of setting up, and I don't think this is necessarily all that conscious in the script, but in setting up sort of the Doctor's mindset in this one, mm. um, because he is very undoctorish sometimes in Planet of Fire. Um, he's miserable he is miserable and sad and and bordering on evil well there and we'll get there um certainly by the yeah. last episode of this serial you're you're really like this is uh, again i think why this is such an epic uh season and, and this story is actually quite good um he's he's in a different mindset and um it's uh it's it you know peter davison you know he's a he's relatively light and and he his whole ma- manner is rather friendly i think but in, in to the extent that he can be take his version of the doctor to a dark place i think that's really embodied mm-hmm. in this episode yeah and, and embodied well for, for case of androzani as well it's sort of it's it's a nice lead into that yeah. his performance notably this episode is written by peter grimwade uh, mm. who has been with the show for a long time uh, in one way or another, uh, or had been at that he, point. He got, to, uh, he got to write Turlo's introduction in Mordred Undead. Yes. The previous yes, so it made and, a lot of and sense. And he's back now to, to do Turlo's ending. But reputedly, it's not all him. Uh, supposedly, he got really upset about the different demands that they were making on him for Planet of Fire uh, and basically quit halfway through writing it. Well, right, I read about that too. It? Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting backstory. I know there was also some talk about they set it on Lanzarote because someone's wife had recently vacationed there, and, <laughs> and it's, so rumor is John Nathan Turner just wanted to like have a production where he was on vacation or something, and you know it all lends to the idea, like we were saying earlier, maybe he thought this was going to be his last season. I I, I don't know. Yeah, um, it was so weird that they take it from a quarry in Surrey. Doctor Who is almost always set and they go to the one island in the Atlantic that has the most quarry-like feeling to it (laughs) Doctor Who cannot avoid quarries uh, never has (laughs) Um, but yeah it's written by Peter Grimwade Um, so we can can get right into it so it opens up a lot of location shooting here and they use like to what extent the quarries are varied on 
Lanzarati to they use Lanzarati to represent both this alien planet, which we come to soon find out it's named Sarn, and yeah. as well as Lanzarati itself. Um, so we 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 open up with with the alien planet actually with these sort of um, sort of primitive looking people kind of climbing a mountain, uh, yeah. or uh, as you kind of rapidly figure out, it's a volcano. Uh, trying to sort of find something, and they don't find it because because they were determined not to find it. Which is that they were, you know, they as one of them proudly says, Logar, which is apparently their deity. This this community's deity uh, does not deity? exist. Deity, sorry, my bad. Oh man, I'm editing like that deity. out. You know, I'm editing that out. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. No, it's it's great. This this is what we're now going to call all all Doctor Who uh, deities. Deities, you guys. I, I read a lot. I don't pronounce a lot. Um, anyway, they get up there uh, and they they could proclaim he doesn't exist. So it's kind of interesting. It's some backstory. Um, I got to say, I like the guy who plays Amiand. Uh, he's quite good. Yeah, he's he's the one who takes over in the end, right? Spoiler alert. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, but then we rapidly transition to um, being a, 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 this archaeological expedition on off the coast of Lanzarote itself uh, on Earth. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're quickly introduced to a couple people, uh, Howard and Perry. Yes, so. per- per- Perry Gilliam. Yeah. Or Perry Gilliam. Perry Gilliam. And there's, a, there's a, obviously Perry's first appearance um it is uh it's an odd (laughs) it's an odd introduction yeah it's not an Uh, odd introduction i I mean it's an odd choice i was going to say about her her speech i i i think nicola bryant she was obviously sort of probably new at at this and maybe i don't know how new she was to acting at the time but i know some backstory on the character and they wanted her to be american and there was a lot of like back and forth on whether um, the actress was American. I think they were kind of trying to sort of, I don't know, fool, I don't know if they were trying to fool people or it was just part of a, a whole campaign that got out of hand. So can, uh, can I can I confess, after all these years, I, I was fooled. Really? I, I thought I've gone until we watched Planet of Fire, and this may be another reason for the TARDIS randomized bring us here, believing that Nicola Bryant was, if not American, then maybe sort of American-adjacent like Canadian. And how quickly was that illusion shattered by the actual episode? (laughs) Yes. As soon as we start watching, I'm like, hang on, that's not an American accent. That's not a Canadian accent. That is a posh actor trying to do an American accent, which I think either goes to show that she got a lot better at the American accent as, as she goes on. uh, Or we may discover if we get to the gone Baker era, um, that uh, I, I was just very, um, I, I did not un- really understand what American accents sounded like as, <laughs> as a child growing up. I, maybe that's I didn't watch enough a, American TV. 
Yeah, I, 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 it's not just like her, her, her accent is all over the place, right? I mean, uh, it's not just that. It's that even her sort of her Britishisms come out. She says to Howard at one point, "Don't let's argue." argue. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. And at, at one point, she uses the word. She pronounces the word "glass." Yes. Instead of gla- "glass." <laughs> yeah. Glass. So. Um, it's 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 yeah. I, like why not like I, I just don't get it and then and, and I, I should probably research this like why not just cast an American? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't. I, really... It was weird that a lot of people, a lot of um, TV shows in Britain in in the eighties and definitely in the seventies would use fake Americans. People would do fake American accents. I think one of the, one of the classic examples that nerds like us might remember is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, where they have Mark Wing Davy. Um, I believe is a British actor doing a putting on a very very American accent for Zayvon Beeblebrooks. Um, right, man, I, it didn't even occur to me that that he was American or you know so alien. I haven't seen that in my god three decades or something like that. But um, but but that was sort of par for the course, right? We we like maybe there were one or two American actors hanging around London in those days, but they got nowhere near the. Uh, the BBC. It's a lot different these days. Yeah, I, exactly. I would imagine, you know, it, it was a completely different era. I mean, the whole idea of Do- Doctor Who even being a franchise at the time was new. They were clearly, and as we'll explore further, like they were still clearly making it on about $5 an episode. So, mm. you know, as a, even as a, a young American actor trying to make it somewhere, I mean, you know, if you're not having made it in Hollywood, you're certainly not making money, but the potential for making money is, you know, in Four, I guess it was. Um, yeah, it was, was probably well. Higher. It was out in eighty four. It was yeah. probably filmed in eighty three. I imagine. Um, but yes, I, I think there's something else about this this first Perry scene that kind of gives us a clue as to why they didn't pay too much attention to the accent, which is the the sheer amount of skin on display. <laughs> um, in in this story in general, I would say that was the other thing about the opening scene on San was the the shortness of the shorts yes. being worn it's just there, there was a period in the mid 80s oh you're talking about the men now shorts. too yeah, yeah. oh yeah and, and, and turlow and then we we get to howard yeah turlow's practically naked for most of this episode howard perry's stepfather is you know defiantly shirtless throughout this scene <laughs> to the point where i actually thought at first he was supposed to be a boyfriend uh, and was a little skeezed out when I discover he's the stepfather. Yeah, exactly. The evil stepfather. I mean, I think it's it. Honestly, I think it was probably more for, a lot of it for practical reasons. Like they were, it was hot, <laughs> and they were on vacation, mm-hmm. mostly kind of building this. But, but yeah, Perry 100%. is definitely. I mean, John Nathan Turner, you know, explicitly wanted Perry as a, uh, you know, a, a boost to the uh, sex factor. Yeah, they wanted some eye candy on the show. Yes, um, which would be very done 80s before. decision. The, yes, but also very 70s. Right? This was the way that we got Leela. Uh, of course. Was the idea of, you know, yes, for for the blokes, for the soccer blokes watching TV at 5 p.m. on a Saturday, you want you want to show a bit of skin. But Perry sort of takes it to a new level with her bikini. Yeah, yeah. Um... So pretty cheesecakey. But at least you get the beefcake as well. Like, it's it's kind of you know, equal opportunity this episode. So I got to say, I, you know, a lot's attention's paid to Perry's accent and how un- potentially unconvincing it was. I got to say Howard's is worse. 
<laughs> but no one's talked about yes. this. This guy who plays Howard, he is like not at all convincing as an American. Uh, so you know, if uh, mercifully he's out uh, pretty early on. Yeah, if we're if we're we're then, setting any kind of common standard, um, yeah, he even says like <laughs> at some point, I think to the doctor after he shows up, like your English Mary Rose or something like these these things people just would never say. Um, yes. Anyway, I got to say, although even, there's a lot of skin, the doctor never he takes off his cricket sweater, um, which is makes sense, but. He doesn't quite show the skin. Uh, of course, why would he? But he has actually some kind of like nice clothes. I mean, not nice because it's like this was when, you know, everyone was wearing costumes. In this, and, uh-huh. and, and so he had question marks all over everything. Uh, just apparently, I guess, to show how enigmatic he was. Like he had question mark suspenders, question mark collar. I, I love that idea that he would just go and advertise his enigmatic nature with the question mark shirts. I, I know a lot of, a lot of fans uh, dislike that JNT innovation. Um, well, I, yeah, think, I kind of go back and forth on it. I I've, liked it as a kid. I don't like it now. Yeah, I, I, I've gone back and forth in that. I liked it as a kid. I didn't like it for a long time, and now I'm kind of like back. Like you know, it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> neat. And I also really liked his vest. Um, it was it was a very nice vest. Um, and generally, I just think I like the idea that, and I think they've done this more in the new series. Like he changes outfits. He's he's in a warm climate. He took off the jumper. He's rolling up his sleeves. You know, like it's like, yeah. Well, like the very yeah. first time we see the doctor, he's wearing his celery jacket. Yeah, uh, and we we should definitely institute a, a celery watch segment for every time we see celery in whenever we land in the Davidson era, because this was pretty damn wilted. Agreed. I, to say. I was, think it's a count of one through the whole serial. Yeah, yeah. He, we see it briefly at the beginning, and they're obviously like, well, he doesn't even need fresh celery for this. This is the BBC. We've got to keep costs at a minimum. So they give him a yellow piece of celery, uh, <laughs> practically wilting um, on, on his lapel. Yeah. So if you're looking uh, for. If you were looking for vegetables on lapels in this, uh, sir, you, you were not happy. Uh, you were writing to the BBC by, by the end of episode four and complaining. Uh, so yeah, salary count on this one I think is one. Um, yeah, if you, if, if and, that... and he he goes he goes to a to a vest to like a sweater vest. Yeah, and even he, he only wears that for I think a little bit for the first episode. Yeah, um, but generally, like I did like the idea of like the doctors. You know, he's he's not just like a superhero in one costume, and I like just the whole idea. Like he, Davison looks good in just a shirt and suspenders, and like this idea yeah. of the Time Lord rolling up his sleeves and getting some rescue on I, I think it was just it was palpable uh I, I, he, I didn't, he didn't really go non-formal in those days did he like no he was almost you know, every occasionally, episode yeah just the sweater and... you'd see tom baker in shirt sleeves you know mm-hmm. but it was it was only like a very ruffled shirt a very poety shirt so also in this episode we see the return of a companion that we haven't seen since uh a few episodes ago at this point uh, King's Demons. The King's Demons, yeah. That was like his only other appearance, really. And that is a Chameleon, um, mm. the which is really <laughs> like K-9, another robotic prop as companion, um, which was infamously like never worked, uh, was not... <laughs> everyone hated, apparently, including the cast, working with this, this robot. They actually um, contorted the script of this one so that they didn't have to bring the prop to Lanzarote, <laughs> that's mm. why that's why he's actually in 
a different form through most of the series, uh, through most of the serial. Uh, was he? Do, do you? Since you remember the, this Davidson era so much better than I, was did he sort of show up in the background of shots on the TARDIS and the in the in between? Never, uh, not even mentioned. Uh, no, not mentioned. Actually, you know what? Come to think of it, he might have been mentioned in Frontiers. I'd have to. We'd have to watch that again. But I mean. Um, he was not. So we have King's Demons. He, oh, he was he was a machine of the Master, right? Right, or the Master had found him on this planet. Uh, the, the Doctor steals him at the end of King's Demons. That's right. And for the rest of the time, he's just like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> I just have this evil Master machine hanging out in my TARDIS. Yeah, uh, and that was some time ago. Actually, frame. come to think of it, I think I might have said earlier in the series season, but it was actually the previous season that the King's Demons. It was towards the end of that season. Um, yeah. But yeah, apparently it didn't work out. They were 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 eager to get rid of him. Uh, this is, I mean, you know, spoiler alert. Uh, this serial is, is Chameleon's last <laughs> appearance and final appearance. And uh, it's his, right, Chameleon. I, I will say, as a it, he goes out with a bang. He's 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 you know the the prop isn't in it for much, but Chameleon is in is in it a lot. And uh, there, it, it even hinges on Chameleon. A hundred percent. Whole story. Um, so it's very it's it's you know Peter Grimway did did Chameleon a solid on his uh, on his send off. <laughs> um, so Chameleon is is having problems for whatever reason. He's screaming and there's some weirdness going on. And um, so they finally like, oh yeah, we have Chameleon in whatever room we left him in. We have to make sure uh, he's all right. He's not all right. Uh, and so when Turlo goes back to quote unquote program and alpha rhythm i think it was i i, didn't, I don't know if i got that was it alpha rhythm or algorithm <laughs> <laughs> i just program an algorithm he loves those things i don't know i feel like alpha waves is a thing i've heard at some point on some sci-fi show so that's why i think i thought it was alpha but he does that and says so sounds, Turlo, sounds more doctory yeah. so not only have we seen t uh, uh if you're a doctor who fan you're like excited oh chameleon's here turlo uh gets some we, we get echoes of turlo's early time on the TARDIS when he gets a transmission he says it's a Trion ship we don't really know what Trion is at this point but uh, he's concerned he tries to actually wreck the console a little bit to like turn off the transmission and uh, sort of almost like uh, he's sort of half deceiving the doctor on like what he was uh, yeah. interpreting so he's, it's like he's... you've got old Turlo back he's back to Mordron Undead Turlo um, which I actually I... I kind of carry a flame for Mordred Undead myself. I oh, always yeah, love me that too. Serial. Um, but he, I, I was thinking during these early scenes with Turlo, is this the unfriendliest the TARDIS has ever been? It's like, because the Doctor's sort of moping, you know, they, they're obviously missing Tegan, which I think is mentioned once. Right. And they're just sort of kind of standing at the console at the start, not talking to each other. Uh, it's certainly the most introverted that the TARDIS has ever been because um, they're just not chatty and they're not friendly and they don't there's there's no real love loss between these two you get the sense like if you were just parachuted into this episode and you'd never seen any doctor who before you would wonder why the hell they were traveling together agreed uh even though it's very notable that this is one of the only times where the tardis is is being piloted by two dudes um <laughs> yeah you know and yeah like you kind of, uh, I, I, it kind of makes you question, which I also, she also kind of questioned a little bit in Modern and Dead. Like, what does the doctor see in this guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, why, why, are you, 
Why are they Why buddies? Are you just traveling around with this public school boy. It just looks very, very sus, as the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> Although, like, Turlo, in fairness, has always had, he's clearly like an older adult. <laughs> yes. He's playing younger, but I mean, especially in this episode, he's okay. Yes, this is a man. Um, mm. uh, a man who occasionally wanders around in a Speedo, apparently. Um, <laughs> so. And was sure to strip down to it before saving Perry's life. Yeah. So as as mm. as the doctor exactly, and so as what happens is they go to the Earth to track down the signal. Um, the they're looking for it. Uh, the doctor and Turlo get separated. Turlo <laughs> strips down to rescue Perry, who's stripped down. Uh, yeah, because she, she she was trapped on the boat by Howard because. He didn't want her to go off to Morocco with some friends she'd just met. Right. So he's concerned for his stepdaughter's safety so much that he abandons her on a boat when she can't apparently swim. Well, it's not that he's concerned about her safety. He's concerned that he's going to hear about it from his wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that he didn't take care of her. So he just doesn't want to get yelled at. So he treats her terribly, um, which is all kind of a little icky. But... Uh, there, you know, she dives in the water in her bikini, puts her clothing and her belongings, including the the device that apparently the doctor and and Turlo are tracking, into a plastic bag. Uh, and I always yes. like 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 I, it's written fine. It's just this is again one of the sort of Doctor Who production five dollars an episode quality is like what what went wrong on her swim, which was roughly like fifty <laughs> feet. From shore, the boat is apparently fifty feet from shore. If you look at these, these the 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 shot, and she starts to drown. I'm like, like, what is this? Like, I'm, if just, is... I'm presuming they didn't have enough money for the CGI for the special effects of the mind ray that suddenly hit her, <laughs> but she suddenly forgets how to swim. Yeah, um... you th- if you look at like swimming as maybe a skill continuum, right? With like Michael Phelps over here on number ten, like Perry is so. Past number one, she's at like negative two hundred <laughs> in terms but, of her swimming. Thought, you know, like she thought, obviously thought she was ready for this. You know, she, she, she bags up the uh, the platinum device and her clothes for some aplomb. Uh, can, can we just talk about this device because this is where they sort of um, the the skin filled nature of this episode goes over the top, and yes. this was noted by reviewers at the time. The, the alien device that Howard and she have found is it looks exactly like a, a penis. <laughs> I mean, not, not even any question. Like it is literally just they, they, they've cast a platinum dildo. The, the Trions uh, are into their sex toys, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my goodness. And it just it's one of those things where you look at this and you're like this. We were so innocent back then that right. this could go out. Um. And and nobody would crack a smile. I'm, I'm sure many many a smile was cracked, but it just like this was okay for kids. Yeah, it was just uh, like what were they thinking? I mean, one end they're both bulbous ends of this thick rod, <laughs> and one is a li- like significantly more bulbous than the other. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you're just like you, your jaw drops, and and you know, I in I, this isn't really a defense. I would just say it's it's as a kid, it didn't occur to me, you know, but like. <laughs> plus a few years yeah. you're just like oh man <laughs> oh, that, that's... a uh, platinum device from another planet is just a platinum device from another planet as Freud said exactly um, anyway so 
all this sort of comes together at the TARDIS. Um, you know, Perry gets tossed into one of the rooms. Turlow uh, puts her in a, a bed. <laughs> it's this the first creep- time. Yeah, I know. It's getting creepier. Like, they're, they're barely dressed and he's putting her in bed uh, with the platinum penis. Um, yeah. And, and and examining it. Like, it just gets worse and worse. From in any other show, this there would be some misunderstanding about what they were doing in there and perhaps some some innuendo uh here it's but just it's, played completely it's straight my, my, it is and my first question this you know already getting back to the childhood mindset it was like is this the first time that we've seen a bedroom on the tardis um it is not i do not. remember shortly after turlo came on board actually um, obviously this is probably the same set or, or whatever they were doing to recreate that when, when they were actually, they were actually is one of the very only times they showed someone getting a uh, set up, uh, you know, given, you know, a given a room in the TARDIS. And so Turlo gets mm. Adric's room and there's a little bit mm. of back and forth. And this is again, one of the few times at this point where the TARDIS, this is in Terminus and they're, they're kind of invaded and there's, there's a lot of interior TARDIS stuff, uh, yeah. on, on par with say, um, you know, the doctor's wife. Um, so uh, it's not the first time we've seen a bedroom, but this is a sort of very notable era for like showing a little bit more of TARDIS life than we were sort of in previous eras. Oh yeah. The, the, you know, well, that was, that was Davidson all over, right? The, the, the zero room, right? you know, all this stuff. We see a lot more of the inner life of the TARDIS that's lacking in other eras. Um, so everything kind of yeah. comes together because like, because of, uh, Perry's uh, problem, you know, she uh, her not her problem. She has this dream that influences uh, what Chameleon looks like. So she has a dream about Howard. So because Chameleon ostensibly is controlled by mind waves or mind, you know, feelings and, and thoughts, uh, he he takes the form of Howard. Right, uh, and she's mercifully dreaming about Howard in a suit. And uh, you really have to like what I just said there about Chameleon. I mean, the, I, it sort of makes sense, but you're as a viewer, you're really it's really depend. The show working is really dependent on you, kind of coming halfway <laughs> with how Chameleon works, mm-hmm. um, because you kind of have to make it up on your own. Like, okay, we know he's controlled by mind stuff. Uh, in the next scene, when he's posing as Howard, he says, "Doctor, we meet again." I mean, you kind of, if you think about it, like, how does he know that he met, he met the Doctor? Well, he must be feeding off either the doctor's thoughts or as a, as a chameleon, as a, as a, you know, you think this, this robot that needs to fool people is programmed with the absolute best body language interpretation there could possibly be. So when he walks out into the room, whatever, you know, the doctor does, he immediately perceives the doctors met this guy. So Mm. he's like, Oh, the doctor, we meet again. Um, so weird. Yeah, a lot of headcanon required for this. For this a story. lot, but somehow it works. Um, you know, because we're really more into like trying to figure out: Does the doctor even know that's Camille? No, it clearly doesn't. Uh, and I'll kind of say, uh, no one questions that Howard suddenly put on like a suit uh, hmm. for whatever. I guess he was going out, you know, <laughs> clubbing later. <laughs> um, something from his closet. Uh, it would have been funny to sort of have Perry, and maybe this is just me being a continuity nerd, but like, yeah, well, where, where were you keeping that suit in your luggage, Howard? <laughs> like, I don't remember you packing that. <laughs> That's what they would do these days, just throw in a line, just explain it. So then they, they chase the signal from the 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 very rather rude-looking uh, prop, uh, and they end up on Sarn. 
And mm-hmm. so the doctor and Turlo head out. And uh, we come to the cliffhanger of episode one, uh, which I actually found really effective, uh, mm. where Chameleon just starts saying creepy things as Howard. And uh, it's, you know, Perry isn't well served by this scene because she kind of becomes, you know, her the screaming companion. Oh, I'm scared and I'm going to scream because I don't know what to do. Uh, as Chameleon transforms, or Howard rather, transforms into the master. And uh-huh. he, he delivers that classic line right before uh, the credits, which is, I am the master and you will obey me. And I think... As, as it's a great line, obviously it's a classic line. Ainley, you know, I don't. I think he says it only a couple of times. I think this might even be might be one of the last times he actually says that exact line. Mm. Um, uh, Anthony Ainley, such a mainstay of my childhood, and this was supposed to be his last Doctor Who story. Yeah, apparently his contract was up, uh, mm. which explains a lot of the the ending, uh, which we'll get to. Uh, but I just it also I, I like... explains why they he, they kind of phoned the master in in a lot of ways in the story. I feel um, for reasons we'll get to, but but right away we see that is probably the worst mustache that they've ever given the master right. when he appears in in the suit in the TARDIS. Yeah, I, I think we might disagree on whether the master is uh, effective or not in this one, but I do agree that this is yeah his uh, his look in this one is unfortunately. Um, not not polished. Uh, he does look creepy in a suit. He's he's very Roger Delgado ish in a lot of scenes. Uh, apparently, there were scenes that he recorded where he did not go OTT on the dialogue, but was then instructed to by by the director. So uh, it's it's a shame that we don't get to see a more muted performance because my God, he he chews the scenery from his very first appearance. Yeah, and that was an Ailey Master thing, and it, you either like that or you don't. I, mm. I I happen to like it. I thought you know the ending here was really really good um, because you uh, if, and I remember at the time. I mean, it's really hard to remember the first time I watched it, but I remember not not knowing what was up and not knowing the, obviously mm. the masters. And it is a surprise. It's like oh wow, and this is cool. This this episode was already kind of interesting on some levels, was suddenly taken to another level. And and then you just cut to credits, and it's just like, oh wow, um, I really want to cut to the next one. Now this actually isn't the episode that I I was referring to earlier, unlike the one that really oh. got me excited about that wanted to see the next episode. But um, I, I thought it was a really good, really good cliffhanger, and uh, we're, we're cutting to episode two. Um, let's, get, let's get into it. Yeah. So so I got to say, episode two starts off. Um, you know, obviously it gives you the recap. Um, one thing I got to say, we haven't talked about it at all because we only talked a little bit about the Sarns at the beginning. The guy who plays Timonov is fantastic. Like, mm. he is so good. Like, he's this obviously super religious zealot who um, yet somehow can can waver from sort of this intense dogmatic uh, belief system, but also sort of be a gentle and sort of kind and understanding, uh, you know, on sort of the other side, uh, like he really sort of knows how to play this, this religious father figure so well. Uh, and he has so many so, great lines. So this is Peter Wingard. And I don't know if you knew this, but he was famous in the UK for playing a character called, uh, Jason King, uh, which is a detective, uh, series in, in the UK. And he, 
Jason King has been credited with inspiring Austin Powers. And he's very much, if you look at pictures of him online, he's like, he's got the open shirt, he's got the hairy chest, he's got the metal dangling over the chest, he's got the the sideburns and the moustache. So to see him playing this sort of buttoned-up religious zealot, like something out of Lawrence of Arabia, is very bizarre, given that he's, you know, the, the uh, Austin Powers uh, yeah. in you know in british tv so, yeah <laughs> for, for uh, even yeah, though he gives a great performance even though the sarns don't wear laces it looks like he's very straight laced yeah uh no it's a great performance mm-hmm. i you know you hang off what he's everything he's going to say he clearly has so much say in what his people think and do um and he throughout plays his role in sort of interesting ways um there's a point where he yells like uh, so the the chosen one, Malcolm, who we later learn is is Turlo's brother, um, says something like, "The the heretics, uh, I mean, they, they don't really cause any harm, or they mean no harm." And Timonov sort of intensely comes back at him with, you know, you know, we're now on this brink of ruin because we've angered Logar. No harm, he screams at him. Um, it's honestly like it 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 really. I'm glad this 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 scene happens early because. It, it makes, even though if you, you know, there's obviously a destructive component to what Timonov's saying and, and that the whole ideology he represents, but it makes him understandable. Uh, it's not really sympathetic, mm-hmm. but you, you get it. You get who this guy is, where he's coming from, as, as misguided as that may be. Uh, right. Very, very he's, good. He's the, uh, he's the religious zealot. He plays it to a T. And, uh, yeah, you, you sort of instantly get the idea of a, a dying, crumbling religion that he, even he's not happy with the uh, the fact that his whole culture appears to be dying and the religion is the only thing that he can cling to. So yeah, it's actually a performance with some depth. So back in the TARDIS, Perry is like um, trying to figure out how to deal with this robot person, which she quickly learns is a robot because as, um, as she deals with the master version of Chameleon, uh, she tries to kick him <laughs> and she hurts her foot. Uh, clearly kicking that sort of hard metal of, of Chameleon's leg. Mm-hmm. And, um, but because of that, because he's so sort of casually cruel to her and starts hurting her shoulder, like apparently she starts using like, uh, you know, so this is the equivalent of her, like her, her anguish starts to interfere with the control. And so she can sort of somehow push mm. it hard enough. I mean, again, you really got to do the head cannon here, right? Uh, so yeah. that the... Um, Chameleon switch changes back to Howard and then back to his old self for a little bit. And so this starts sort of the plot device of like TARDIS components, which for whatever reason, um, John Nathan Turner really loved to pull out devices, parts of the TARDIS. He does this like, I think like three or four times in the Davison era, like pieces of the TARDIS uh, get taken out, uh, hidden, traded, uh, and the TARDIS is really like uh, treated as like you know kind of an everyday machine, a piece of engineering uh, here more than any other era. Um, and so uh, you know uh, Perry gets like the comparator, so I think it's called, and runs off. I'm I'm so glad you're you're keeping track of of what was actually happening with TARDIS components because I was lost. <laughs> I have to say, I uh, I would often say that many times in my childhood I I would just watch a Doctor Who serial for the, the uh, you know, as a series of disjointed images and kind of 
blame myself for not really understanding the story or keeping up the story. Planet of Fire is the kind of story where I'm like, no, it was actually just a terribly explained story uh, with MacGuffins up the wazoo and so many MacGuffins, so many TARDIS bits. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the platinum penis, which sort of gets lost and forgotten at some point. Like, the, everyone's running with MacGuffins everywhere. The, the, the volcanic gas becomes a MacGuffin. It, it just... It, <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed that this stuff passed muster at the time um, and that we all put up with it. I think it, it is partly because a lot of people did just sort of watch Doctor Who as a series of disconnected images that kind of look nice uh, and performances that were kind of cool. And it does look nice, um, and, and the performances moments. are cool. It's just it's one of those yeah. like it's 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 funny that John Nathan Turner, um, you know, has famously said the he thought the sonic screwdriver was a crutch, right? That this, as a plot device, mm. and so he got rid of it and sort of challenged his writers to sort of write, do do better. But I got to say, if there's a crutch plot device in in the Davidson era, I think it's this. It's the sort of pull one yep. circuit out of the TARDIS or any TARDIS and it doesn't work. And then we got to run after it or trade it or do whatever. I mean, it happens in uh time flight. It happens even in, I think, arc of infinity. Uh, it certainly happens here. Um, are, and... are they pulling bits out of the TARDIS console in, in all of these instances? Yeah. Is it's it like, just that the doctor, it's just... he didn't have great TARDIS console security. Well, it's also like there's technobabble, like it's either the temporal limiter or the temporal stabilizer or the comparator or whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, if you think about it, like, well, dude, if your TARDIS is 100% dependent on this one thing and you'll be stranded <laughs> otherwise, like, maybe have a few of those lying around? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the fact that, like, it's just so easily disabled, um, I don't know. Like, it it's weird. Be, and It would be so good if, if in one of these episodes, this doctor just called in an IT guy. Who, you know, like the IT. IT guy buried buried away in the TARDIS somewhere. It only comes at moments like this. Yeah, I lost my comparator. <laughs> well, we can yeah, we can bypass it. that. Hold on, <laughs> I've got the Cybermen online too, so I'll get right back to you. Okay, so Perry's running off with the comparator. Uh, the Master, or rather, Chameleon, is running after her. Uh, we can see. Uh, right away because they cut to him that this is obviously not the master. We know it's not, but we know the master is somewhere and is controlling Chameleon through some kind of weird headdress. He looks like he's in a a, a Borg hair salon uh, <laughs> with all the green light. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he's so doing weird. that. Uh, Turlo's getting slowly more intense. He's He's sort of slowly explaining to Dr to the doctor that you know there's people from Tryon here because of these triangle thingies we saw on the the rude prop uh we see that same triangle design on some pillars or whatever and the um, doctor has one line around here that's like oh yeah you never really told me about your backstory which is like did you why didn't you ask dude i mean like are you really like just just yeah, just remind us all that we, you've been carrying this unknown child across the universe and not really being very curious about him. Yeah, it's like, you know, they, they've got, clearly got to get some better background checks to join the TARDIS crew. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, also security. Yeah, so they find um, some people, some of the people disarm. So they, you know, uh, the Doctor and Turlo end up hooking up with Amiand and sort of the heretics, actually. Um, mm. And of lo and behold, a man of science comes and tells them things that make sense. 
uh, they believe him, which is to say that the planet is going to be destroyed. This volcano is is uh, going to destroy the whole planet. So it's apparently some kind of super volcano. Um, this is one of those Ready things. To blow. Um, the Doctor, this isn't really a complaint. I'm just sort of, you know, to look at Doctor Who and, um, you know, all, all sci-fi does this to some extent, making like a whole planet represented by a very small location in one story. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, these are the only people on the planet in this area, this, around this volcano. For some reason, they're all around the volcano. Um, you know, it's all it's all very iconic, right? It's all very like, you know, this is this is representative of something that may not hold up if you look at it under any scrutiny as a sort of a, a planetary civilization. Right. Um, you never see more than like 10 people in one shot. So yeah. And, for the rest of and, the civilization. You, you don't see anything other than I think only one. Uh, there's a couple of sets, but the only set you actually see of like Sarn people living somewhere is in the first episode. And it's sort of clearly like some posh hotel in Lanzarote, uh, some, some lobby or cloisters <laughs> of it. Uh, and uh, you never see it again. You never see like normal Sarns living their normal Sarn lives, going to Sarn church and going to the Sarn supermarket. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> there's one, there's one bit where Timonov has to go up to a hill and look through a telescope, and it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's like a crappy '80s telescope stuck on a hill. Yeah. Speaking of convenient telescopes, Perry checks one out, um, sees the Doctor and Turlo in the distance, I believe, and then tries to go after them. They don't hear her. The Master keeps going after her. So, and Perry's quite. Um, she's, she's getting better, honestly, by the episode because mm. she gets, she sort of thinks on her feet. She has the comparator. The master catches up with her. She threatens to destroy the comparator. Uh, the master visibly gets worried. Uh, this is a good, it's a good little scene between them because, uh, and it's actually quite, I think, delightful for the viewer that, uh, this sort of everyday girl, and this is a, a, a Doctor Who companion quality is confounding, continually confounding this, um, you know, formidable Time Lord, one of the Doctor's greatest enemies, because, you know, mm. she's, she's just standing up for herself and um, thinking on her feet, is, which is quite good. Is this where we get the line, I'm perfectly in brown and I can, I can shout just as loud as you can? That is it, yes. Yeah. probably her best line in, the, in this entire serial. Her response to, I am the master. It's like, so what? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've got a cooler name. Exactly, and she does that a few more times, and and they're 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 all very effective. It's it's quite good. So she convinces him, uh, not him, convinces Chameleon to sort of try to resist the the master for a little bit, just giving her enough time to get away. Um, so then the master has to sort of change change tacks, right? He uh, focuses less on Perry and more on what he's here to do, and which we don't really know yet. Uh, but he goes and makes contact with the Sarns. And uh, comes in as their outsider. Apparently, their religion, you know, they have some kind of savior myth in addition to the god, mm -hmm. Logar. And the, the savior is supposed to come, and it's the outsider. And uh, at first, uh, it looks like they might, they might think it's the doctor because they see the TARDIS and they see the flashing light or whatever in the distance with. Uh, the telescope, yeah. but then the master comes in yeah. and swoops that identity right right away. The, there was some line that sort of gets buried about how the blue box was something that was foretold, or the blue box has appeared many times. Right, which is interesting, which... and it's like it's it's convenient, obviously, for the writing, but it also sets up a little backstory potentially. 
that this might not be the first time the doctor's been here or maybe he visits in the future right so there, there's another piece of headcanon because i don't think that ever gets mentioned again no and it's I, I don't think it's ever mentioned again in doctor who like that's certainly an opportunity for someone to write a story um i don't know if anyone's really rushing to 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 do more things on sarn uh again it's like you hear that chris chibnall we need jody to go to sarn i mean yeah if they're bringing so back this... the brain of morbius you might as well but uh, i really like how this episode ends uh again another good cliffhanger because it really underscores the master's cruelty uh, i think it's like you know showing evil people be evil and again yeah certainly it's it's a, a style question on whether you like anthony ainley or not but him to go, you know, he basically says he, he uses the, the doctor's greatest weakness, which is the, the death of innocence. Uh, like he says, burn these people uh, unless the doctor tells me where the girl is. And the doctor at one point, he's, he's, he's almost begging with the master. Like, I don't know where the girl is. I don't have the comparator. You have to believe me. And he's like, oh, but I do believe you and burn them all. So <laughs> that's, that's a good final sort of end uh to the episode uh you know it's like it's a cliffhanger we know it's not gonna you know it's doctor who it's so so was, was this it was this your favorite cliffhanger it was not so we're down to one and you know yeah. what it is now but um yeah. you know it's, it's a good moment for the master i think and so boom cut to credits um and then uh episode three begins and then you know again doctor who Five dollars an episode. The set is probably smaller than my studio apartment in Harlem uh, from from twenty <laughs> years ago, but they sure take a long time to burn those heretics. Mm. <laughs> like you think it would just be pretty uh, easy to just kind of push real hard, and, and two seconds later they'd all just fall in the mountain and, and then the, the the burn room the, the or flames, the flames. The flames in this serial in general are, are pretty pretty paltry, so I can actually believe it. Yeah, I, I like the idea. Of this this dying civilization, they just you know they they haven't paid their gas bill in a while, and uh, so you don't really get the the oomph you need to burn these heretics. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, what happens is Malkin comes in, uh, he tells him to stop, and this creates a uh, an interesting sort of problem because for for the master because he doesn't he's he's been winging it. He doesn't really know like what. The culture is here and he doesn't know who, who this guy is and the doctor leaps a doctor pounces right it's like ah now i can turn the tables on you you don't understand these folks how can you possibly be the outsider you know th right. this is you, this is the bad guy and they seem to be slowly getting convinced of that over the next few minutes this, this is hipster doctor at his finest he's like i'm i'm learning all about the local culture um you know and you're just a tourist uh, and yeah, I, I like the idea of the doctor using his desire for cultural knowledge as a as a weapon against the master in, in this instance, saying how could he be the outsider? He doesn't even know. Uh, he couldn't identify Logo in a lineup. <laughs> exactly. Which actually becomes uh, an issue at, at this point. Is this where we get the, the doctor going back to the TARDIS and creating Logo? Or is that well, first, that's it, a little later. Yeah. Uh, what happens is Malcolm tries to stuff. insist that there be no burning, but he gets shot by actually one of his own palace guards and that the weapon is actually a beam weapon, which is never really uh, explained <laughs> all that much. Because then it, it, this is where it might start occurring to you, like, wait a minute, this this is a primitive culture, clearly. There have beam weapons and there's there was 
you know, there's there's certain machinery and stuff that's seen here and there. Mm -hmm. So there's they never they never make a lot of it. I mean, um, you know, you obviously find that that's a it's a civilizations has essentially gone backwards, uh, and that there has been yes. some alien intervention from from Turlo's people, but um, yeah. you know, it's it's not really played up. And you know, there's a lot they're playing up. So that happens. <clears throat> they're going to continue the burning. Uh, what happens is Perry comes in again, and tries to use her control um, over Camille. Oh, no, actually, Perry doesn't come in at that point. What happens is the doctor tries to change it up. Yeah, so sorry, I misremembered there. The doctor begins his relentless psychic attack on Chameleon. Uh, and it's it's quite good. The music's good. His lines are good. He's, he's you know, you know, silver puppet jumping on a string, string cut, and, like, mm. these kinds of, like, really kind of, like, you know, cutting, if you will, like a... Uh, uh, lines and you know the the back as, as the master kind of jerks around and then you know you get that glowy effect on him and the big problem is that even though the doctor is doing great and he's going to assert control chameleon shortly it plays completely into the hands of of his opponents uh which is that mm -hmm. oh he's just made the master look like he's magical and he's the outsider yep. so you know he the master uses that he uses a few seconds advantage to make sure everyone's put in the cave, even though the fire's out. Uh, the fire went out, apparently, because Turlo turned it off. Because, again, that's the machinery we're talking about. And, um, yeah, it, it, he, he reverts right back into uh, the master. And Perry gives it a go. Perry gives it a go a few, a little bit later. But now, now he's apparently so strong, Perry can't, can't affect him. Which, again, this is all very arbitrary. It's only serving the nerds, needs of the script. But on some kind of headcanon level, it makes sense, right? Like, I mean, the master's been apparently slowly, like, using his control over Chameleon. It's getting more stronger, more familiar. Maybe his signal's gotten boosted. I don't know. But it's like <laughs> he, he apparently, uh, you know, put a Wi-Fi extender somewhere. And well, now... he's getting close to that because he's, he's, uh, he's warped in at this stage, right? With the... Uh... He's brought his TARDIS in. Yeah, exactly. His, the, so the, the the master's like stone TARDIS is now in the ruin, sort of right beside the doctors, and uh, he's he's clearly in there somewhere, uh, though he hasn't come out for reasons which mm -hmm. become clear at the end of the episode. Um, so Perry the Perry can't affect it, but what happens is again we we get more <laughs> we get more master and Perry. Honestly, Perry spends way more time with the master in this serial than she does with the doctor. Um, really, and it works. It actually kind of works. I, it works in that, like, I think, as I said earlier, you know, from a companion enemy standpoint, but also, like, I think Anthony Haley and Nicola Bryant, you know, is sort of a comedy duo. Uh, yeah, with what... he's, he's sort of grabbing her, like, bring the girl. Yeah, Even when when he doesn't need her for comparative purposes, it's, and... it's very much a, you know, mustache twirling villain grabs the the girl so you can tie her to the railroad track well he really grabs her and he like like he's you know i don't know he's a real jerk to her like he just grabs <laughs> her by the arm he twists her arm like physically to get her to shut up like at moments like it's it's really um you know it's there evil definitely stuff moments i'm like dude cat, you catch more flies with honey come on just be a little nicer to her maybe maybe she will agree to obey his monster come on give her a chance so they get the uh, the Sarns to dig out the, his TARDIS, um, and it's so clearly <laughs> like a styrofoam. Like it's so funny how they like they all just kind of push it up, and it's just kind of like 
like moving like you know don't 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 let it shake too much you know this is supposed to be super yeah. heavy um and so they they write it up and so uh you know there's the classic line of like he just the master can't resist even as chameleon turning to the starns just as like they're asking where are the gifts you promised he's a like, gullible idiot <laughs> just i know yeah it's one last parting shot out of the door yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that that was strategically dumb yeah so he does that um and uh he, you know there's all the, the 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 doctor is freed at some point uh turlo comes and gets him and then there's there's a little more on the the tardis components cuz the the master takes his tardis into the heart of the mountain the doctor wants to follow him but he he pull, he can't he pulls out a drawer and it says oh wow another one of my tardis components has been removed <laughs> it's not it's not the one earlier it's not the comparator it's like the temporal stabilizer or whatever and it's like oh okay yeah i guess i guess there's a bunch At of these point, one and done the things. it guy's going to find him i'm sure hundred dollars for the first missing component yeah so they kind of have to figure out um what they're doing next and uh the rot the doctor at this point there's there's a point where the doctor really like comes at turlo which was interesting you know for all of his neglect for all the previous episodes and not really paying attention to turlo or what his motives are where he's from uh he finally does he finally asks him what can you tell me what this is you know like because like yeah like and you better not be keeping anything from me that could help me save these people or whatever. And it's like, uh, if, yeah, if you're hiding anything from me that could help the master, our friendships at an end, which is very harsh thing for the doctors to know. But like, given his history, kind of totally justified. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's it's a good little moment between the two, and it's like it's good that they sort of have this dip in their relationship, uh, to sort of end on an even higher note. Um. Mm towards the end of the next one. Uh, but we're coming up here to the end of, of the third episode. And this is, this is my, my favorite cliffhanger <laughs> of the whole series. Um, oh, sorry. Of, of this, of this serial, <laughs> not the entire series. Best um, cliffhanger. Doctor best Who. cliffhanger ever, man. Planet of fire. It should be number one <laughs> on your list. Tiny master in a box. Tiny master in a box. It's so good. And um, again, it's preceded by a lot of good back and forth between Ainley and, and Bryant. And then, you know, Perry and the master just, she he, he's sort of showing her how evil he is all the time. He's, he actually pulls out his tissue compression eliminator and like, oh, look, I can turn these suits into little suits. <laughs> Be scared of me. Um, and he... Oh, the tissue when they're in the TARDIS he he lets her know like he moves a box and, and for whatever reason she intuits it's his control box even though I don't see why that's at all intuitable mm. by just having a box maybe he just has some Amazon shipments he needs to like open <laughs> it's um, a giant black box it perfectly matches the decor I'd forgotten how badass the, the Master's TARDIS was it is so the much all better black. Right? Yeah. yeah it really uh, works how, how could you know how could the doctor not see that and go goth himself? Like I'm going to paint my bedroom wall completely black after seeing this. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the TARDIS, but black is just, it's brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Miss it. Yep. Uh, I was, I was going to send some blue is the new black <laughs> <laughs> kind of joke, but I don't black know if that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So like, and then, uh, you know, new bright white, way so, too white. Yeah. 
So 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 Perry has a good line right at the end where she's like, "Well, I may have a puny mind, but you don't have to be Albert Einstein to find the off switch." She opens the lid of the box, and it is Tiny Master, you little master in the box. And he's just he just with a complete straight face tells her, "You'll you escape from my slave, but you'll obey me or die." And yes. It's just like which I think would have been much improved if he'd recorded the line uh, with helium. <laughs> that would have been. <laughs> I, I would love to like see a YouTube dub of that. We should do that. Um, uh, if you're listening out there, please do a YouTube dub of that if that doesn't exist. But uh, it's so good, and honestly, this is it. This is the cliffhanger that got me going. Like, okay, I really want to see what happens next because uh, even though I knew it was coming, it's like. The, what, what does Perry do? Like the the the, the change, the, the the sheer shock of like, okay, I'm gonna like just see what this is, and it's like the guy, it's this t- like like what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Like what? It's just such a I, nutty I really, thing. I I wanted her to turn to camera and sort of you know clamp her hands over her face and go, honey, I shrunk the master. <laughs> it's like something it turns it into a '50s sitcom style, just. Yeah, I think I say I mean, it, it, it's another, it's a whole nother level we're on here. It's very, it's like you're getting into like, yeah, your sitcom farce level stuff, but yet it's it's taken completely seriously. And, you know, that's the to Doctor Who's credit. It, it, that's what it does with this stuff. And uh, so we, have, we get episode four. And for whatever reason, her choice is to knock over the box. <laughs> um, she kicks, even though it's like. I, I, which is uh, I, I kind of understandable on some level. It's it's almost like that same level of disgust when you see a bug, a big bug where you didn't mm. expect to see one, and you just kind of like <laughs> you immediately recoil. You 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 might try to swat it or shove it away or, or get it to go away. It's like that level of of disgust. Like, what what she needed was a mason jar and a piece of paper. Right, right. You just kind of coax the master onto the paper, stick mm-hmm. the mason jar, throw it out, and and you know, take him back to Gallifrey and, and let him yeah. let him wander off. Do, do not do not flush him down the drain. Always a bad <laughs> idea. Um. So what happens with the box getting bo- but the box getting knocked down is that Chameleon goes down, because uh, now his control is completely lost, which makes some kind of mm. sense. Um. So. You know, episode four, everything's coming together. Uh, I got to say, um, uh, we cut a little bit to to the doctor at some point. He's talking to Amiand. And, uh, he, you know, I got to say, Peter Davison uh, was the champ of Technobabble. Like, yes. he would, would rattle off things about whether it's TARDIS components, warp ellipses, um, what I, I think he, he he streams off a few sentences of techno babble about what the Sarns were doing here and the new mesmaton gas and whatever else. Uh, to me, I remember as a kid watching it, hundred percent convincing. I wanted to know what all this stuff was. I, you know, it didn't occur to me it was just sort of nonsense some writer threw down on a page because blah blah blah. You got to do it. Um, so uh, you, you may know this that Pete Davis's big role before being the Doctor was in a British series called all creatures great and small in which he plays a vet oh uh, yes i did know that. and and uh one, the one thing all creatures great and small is another sort of show that i would half watch because my parents were watching it where it was a series of disconnected images but he would just spew vet babble throughout that show right you know it just sort of 
sounded like noise and you're like, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher talking, but he would say it convincingly. And I'm convinced that it was the perfect uh, lead in to playing the doctor because he just, you know, he took vet babble and replaced it with techno babble. And it's like, you know, the same level of convincing huh. in both instances. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he absolutely, you know, uh, there's one point where he talks about something's being computerized. I'm like, oh, right. that, that, that's a little weak. That techno babble did not age well. <laughs> did not age well. But um, but other than that, yeah, he totally sells it. He does. Um, also, when he when he, I forget if it's right around this point or later, but he's having a good chat with Amiand about what, what who the Sarns are, what you what's uh, their plight at this point, and it makes me think, you know, Amiand would have been a good companion. You know, I wouldn't have mind him. You know, just. Like he doesn't have a lot going on after uh, uh, with his with his people. Although he's he's implied to be the new leader, uh, that's what the doctor says he should be. But um, I was I kind of read like he didn't he didn't come on board the TARDIS. He's he's one of those. But he he got a trip in the TARDIS, right? He accompanies the doctor at some point. Yeah. So what happens is they take the TARDIS. Um, to, no, no, they don't. They, this is they, they have to go. They don't take the TARDIS. It's later. Actually, I'm not sure if he actually does take a ride in the TARDIS because they can't take the TARDIS to the mountain because the temporal stabilizer has been removed. They actually have to walk it. So they hike it all the oh, way over. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, what they end up doing is uh, taking uh, the 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 uh, Amion has to walk through, walk back. He's the one guy who can walk back because they're eventually they're a cut off from leaving the mountain again from this sort of control room within the volcano because of the flames, because of the lava. And there's, you know, there's, or rather the stock footage of the lava. <laughs> um, so great stock footage, by the way, it was pretty good. Definitely, I think I've uh, seen that in a few nature documentaries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was, I was expecting to hear the David Attenborough's voice uh, at that point, but, uh, but no, so that, he that has to what give... you'd normally expect. He has to give the. Uh, he pulls out uh, the master's temporal stabilizer when they go into his his uh, the master's TARDIS after they've arrived in the control room, and uh, Amion has to take it back. So what's happened before then is is Perry has <laughs> has has tried to SWAT the master. He actually, I believe, takes off her shoe at one point, uh, <laughs> and they have a great like again. It's another great master Perry exchange where he's like you know help me and i'll spare your life and she's like spare my life come on out here and say that <laughs> you know because he's hiding in the console i uh, could definitely see a spin-off show for perry and the tiny master <laughs> perry and tiny master oh man whatever it is it'd be better than canine and company i guarantee you that <laughs> um so she she gets out of the tardis because the master opens the door for whatever reason that means she has to go uh, so she leaves the TARDIS uh, of her own accord after the door opens, meets up with the Doctor and Amiand. They go back in to find the Master trying to regain control of Chameleon because he's crawled out of the console uh, and back into the control box. So they write the control box right side up, and then you have this <laughs> you have this conversation between the three of them uh, on the top half of the screen and the Master on the bottom. And again, this is not an effect that ages well at all. Uh, really, yeah. honestly, even for the technology at the time and the budget they had, uh, it, it, it baffles me no. why 
they had to they did some kind of handheld camera thing with shake uh for for the the three people like for for the shot with the three of them uh mm-hmm. it's, it's it's so shaky you're just like oh you're just you're just putting your head you're just doing the face palm and you're just like guys really you couldn't have put the camera on a, on a table <laughs> they, they, yeah they, it doesn't even look like they're looking directly at the monster in that scene it's really really bad special effects yeah uh, and I, 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 it's not like there were like good special effects or rampant on tv but it's just, it's just so like on another level of like i don't care <laughs> like mm-hmm. um it was just really really unfortunate that said the 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 conversation's pretty good um although it doesn't really make a lot of sense like why the master was trying to make the tissue compression eliminator even deadlier. I'm not sure what that means. Um, maybe a wide oh, an area effect, I guess. more tissue compression. <laughs> um, but they have a little it's, back and forth. And Chameleon comes in, and uh, apparently whatever the master did to uh, before they walked in was enough to get the Chameleon back. He coaxes them out of the TARDIS so that he can execute on the final plan, which is to restore Tiny Master into full-size Master and per- potentially even more powerful Master um, towards the end of the episode. Um, so before then, Amion walks out. He does his little Yo- Logar thing because he puts on the thermal suit and uh, has his moment where he impresses Timonov and everyone else uh, that he was, you know, He's, he's Logar for a second, but he, he quickly, rather than bossing them around, actually just takes off the mask and is like, hey, no, just me, just Amiad. And it's, it's so weird that they had a religion built around a god who was so clearly a guy in a thermal suit. Yeah, you got to think like some of these religions where, you know, <laughs> the, the person's just a guy. It's like, well, maybe that was just a guy. I, I, I'm just saying, you know. It's a guy in a silver suit. And and you know, thankfully, they sort of ended on a sort of I wouldn't say necessarily religion positive note, note but the idea that you know when he is deceived, uh, you know, Timonov says you don't understand. Like he doesn't shake his faith; he just sort of says mm-hmm. the the sort of um, obvious sort of catch-all response of like Logar is everywhere. That's that's kind of the point, which is like, yeah, fair enough. Um, and uh you know it kind of ends tragically for timonov because he the strong implication is that he doesn't go that he yeah. you know even though amion tries to convince him and literally reaches out his hand like please come with me and let's be saved by this tryon ship that turlo has conveniently gotten here in five minutes um he doesn't do it he turns away and i found that to be strangely affecting i strangely cared about timonov and what he yeah, thought and what, I... what his ending was I was sure we were going to get a scene of him, you know, amidst the wreckage with maybe a beam falling in front of him and a panicked look at his face just to remind us that he was still there. But instead they blow up the planet without him. And it's one of those classic, you know, Davison blowing up the planet or the the base or the ship. Like It seems this was happening a lot in the Davison era that you'd always have a scene where they blew up the models of the set right at the end. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And it's like the set being, again, one room smaller than a studio apartment with like <laughs> a few plants and some <laughs> stucco and drywall that's painted to look like rocks. And so um, it kind of <laughs> it it gets kind of wrecked, but you're not really 
impressed by either the set or the wreckage. But if they, you know, they feel obligated to do it. <clears throat> Certainly, the control center gets wrecked uh, later, mm-hmm. but that's after the big scene. Okay, so in the big scene, obviously, the Doctor and Perry, and finally, they get to spend at least a little more, <laughs> a little time on screen together, uh, apart from the very brief bit in Episode One. So the Doctor and Perry. Um, are quite effective, you know. This it's a quite a, at least they wrote some good Doctor Perry companion stuff. She um, asks for some explanation of what he's doing. He gets her to actively help in the plot to dis- first disable Chameleon and then deal with the mm-hmm. Master. So um, she he uh, the Chameleon <laughs> Chameleon reaches a tragic end, and it's this is again, again it's this whole couple of scenes and we should really sort of take it apart a bit like it like davison goes dark and yep. um chameleon you know they they set something up so that when you know he materializes the master's tardis in the flame he walks out um they screw up his brain his, his mechanical brain he falls down turns back into the prop briefly he and the doctor have some sort of wistful words he says he's sorry and Chameleon begs him to destroy him, um, ostensibly because he he realizes how easily controlled he is and how easily he can become an agent of evil. Um, yeah. The doctor and the doctor doesn't have any qualms about doing so. Any compunction it seems it just sort of got a bit of a sad look on his face, but he he does it. Uh, yeah. And it's like there's no there's no have I the right here? It's like yeah okay you wanna you wanna kill yourself sure. Which is, you, you know, I don't want to unpack it too much, but it is like they did say explicitly in the King's Demons, you know, he does have a mind of his own. He is a person. Mm. Um, and I think that's sort of evident in the performance and how they wrote him here. It's just he's, there's something about him that he can't be, uh, he's too easily controlled. And like, you know, couldn't you um, upgrade his programming somehow? Couldn't you put in firewalls, you know what I mean? Like, or... or basic encryption maybe i mean like you know like i mean these these kind of ideas i mean you know it's all it's all a bit you know um hindsight 2020 or whatever and certainly there were pragmatic reasons to get rid of the prop but i mean to have him go there and destroy this sentient oh thing um could you imagine though if, if a chameleon had still been alive in case of androzani i think i don't think we'd be talking about it as a classic no about the, no we definitely wouldn't great serial that was slightly ruined by it's this just a um, um you know, but if you're going to write him out, um, and it, I'm not necessarily even saying this is the wrong choice, or it's certainly dramatic. Um, there's moments, but it is, it, it does like you, I think you have to deal with it, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. and I think they never really dealt with this um, that well. <clears throat> um, unless, well, there's things to pick apart you could in, in further episodes, but it's a bit of a stretch. But even that isn't the right. most dramatic thing that happens, right? So, like, shortly after that, Perry goes into the TARDIS, um, and then the Master comes out. The Mesmaton gas, the blue flame, surrounds him, and he grows to full-size Master, which is to say regular-size Master. And he starts ranting about how evil he is, and now he's going to kill the Doctor. And... Um, the doctor has ostensibly set it up so that the gas doesn't last and that the flames, the real flames, the burning flames return. And as soon as that happens, the master, uh, for whatever reason, he's, he's sort of trapped there. They never really explain that, that he can't just walk out. Um, but he starts 
commanding, begging the doctor to turn turn it off, to basically turn off the flames. And the doctor just stands there and he just looks at him. And then uh, after a little bit, the master just starts screaming about how he's, you know, he's going to get revenge, but then he just burns to a crisp. And honestly, like, it's so clear that that's what they intended. Like from the effect, he doesn't shrink again. He doesn't really mm. kind of, it's not a mystery what happens to him. He 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 just burns into nothingness. Uh, yeah, Davidson has has some good acting here. You know, as as good as he can get without having any dialogue whatsoever. Yeah, agreed. It's just you know, um, it's definitely a it's, moment, and I'm really glad they were went subtle with the music as well. It was very kind of eerie, but it was also you know like this these somber tones that you you barely even notice and. Uh, you kind of and, like and as much then, as there's no dialogue, you kind of get it. Yeah, it, clearly the the doctor is ready for the master to die, uh, and he's just going to sort of stand there through an action. But it is you know let him die through an action. But he's uh, he's he's haunted by it. He's troubled by it. And then the master says the line that has people debating for years: uh, How could you do this? What what is it exactly? How could you do this to your own? To your dot, own. Dot, dot, dot. And he just doesn't say, it doesn't finish the sentence. He just screams after that because apparently the pain's gotten too much. Oh, this is it. Won't you, won't you even show mercy to your own dot, dot, dot? And I actually brought this up with Stephen Moffat um, at Comic-Con one time. I can't remember really? what we were talking about. Yes. This very line. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why this He's is a super fan. Reason he knows what that the randomizer has brought us here. Uh, because I, I now get to name drop with the Stephen Moffat story. Uh, yeah, we were interviewing about the um, the season after Missy's first appearance, and I, we were talking about the master for some reason. And I happened to mention, oh, isn't there a thing somewhere that uh, where he's like, you know, hints that he's his brother or you know, or related in some way. And Moffat was able to say, oh, yeah, that thing at the end of Planet of Fire, won't you even show mercy to your own dot, dot, dot. Uh, and, and then his first thing is, well, that could also apply to your own valet or your own butler. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that was, which is fair. <laughs> Maybe he was saying that, who knows? Uh, so, yeah, that's... That's my brief story well, about that line and, and its essential ambiguity. Yeah, my, um, I always like, I, I, I think I initially thought it, he, that should have been, you know, there's more to that line. You could have, like, I think I ultimately interpreted it as like your own kind uh, mm. and your own kind of, almost, he almost consciously stops it. Won't you show mercy to your own? You know, like, and... um sort of saying it stylistically in a way that so that you don't even have to say the word kind. Uh, I think that's kind of where I went with it in my head. Um, mm. But I very much remember at the time thinking, oh, they're clearly brothers. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe looking back on it now, maybe I was influenced by the fact that Turlan finds his own brother uh, in, in this very episode. But also that was just sort of where sci-fi sci-fi fantasy was at at the time right because we were all 83 84 we were still you know in uh, you know the, the afterglow of return of the jedi had not yet faded sure um i'm your father you know uh, random familial connections were were everywhere 
at the time. So maybe that's that's what influenced this natural assumption on the part of a lot of people watching this episode that they were somehow related. Yeah. So I mean, I know it's, we're we're supposed to talk about this episode, um, but this episode informs a, a little bit of how you react to others. So th- this I found like again, whatever you think of the Doctor's actions here, I found Davison's performance great, Ainley's performance great. The moment is certainly dramatic. It is a big moment. It feels like a big moment in both the episode and the series. Uh, and I, you know, naively as a kid sort of thought this was it. You know, this is the master's gone, um, mm. which, you know, was a dumb thing to think because he comes back, you know, not even like a year later and then in Mark of the Rani. And I really got to say, like, um, it's it, it was, I felt that was very cheap the way they did that. Like, uh, and I hate to sound like, you know, the, the Kathy Bates character in Misery, but, you know, st- <laughs> start where you left off, right? You left off with this super dramatic moment. Uh, instead, in, in the Mark of the Rani, he kind of walks out, has some some pat line about, you know, I'm indestructible. Um, and just and then, then just have the episode, which is, you know, fine. It's not continuity is supposed I, to make things better. But it's really like you, you, you can't just do that. Like you need you need to earn it. Like he's burned to a crisp. Start there. And then there's ways to write it. You know, you're a time travel show. It's sci-fi. You can do anything, um, but make it make it better. Pete, than that. D- dying is for other people. That's, <laughs> see, this is the other thing that that uh, Moffat likes to say about the master, and I think maybe this is why we were talking about it was that he was like, I would always watch the master come back, like after after being apparently killed forever in the previous episode, and he'd say, you know, cannot kill me, Doctor, and Moffat would be sitting there as a kid, going like, Yep, that's good enough for me. <laughs> you know, that's just, well, I'm going to say on the record, it's not good enough for me. And and again, I don't want to go. And I think we could do a whole episode on this, but uh, maybe this is it. But I, I uh, really respect how um, Russell T. Davies handled this. And this is admittedly a thing he, he created on his own with, with the Daleks. And, you know, there's there's a very strong continuity between when the Daleks return and, you know, what happened to them in the Time War and how they bit by bit. Uh, episode by episode sort of come back right uh usually they're destroyed once and for all again at the end of it but um it's it's not uh just an afterthought it is earned it's explained it makes sense within the universe uh and really like it i think that does matter to really trying to feel the stakes uh as you go along and you know it also shows that the fans that you care about them keeping track of things and the things that you um you have have set up in the past. I mean, I, everything's an opportunity, right? And I, I think to, when you miss those opportunities, you don't just miss an opportunity to good story. You uh, you you miss an opportunity to cement people's connection with the show. And uh, it was really really well, missed after this episode. You hear that, Chris Chibnall? Next time the monster comes back, we want an explanation for how he evaded his death the last time. And maybe a line that will explain how he's managed to evade deaths all of these times when he was, he or she was seemingly, uh, you know, in, in inescapable doom. Well, and make it part uh, of the we, show, we'd right? Like the backstory. Like even make yeah. it like the, like the keeper of Trocken is a good, good example of this yeah. where it's all about that. And he restores himself and he, t- he becomes this new person. Um, but we, but we digress in other episodes. Um, so the master's burned away. Uh, there's a nice moment between the doctor and Perry and the TARDIS a moment later where she asks him if he's okay. He responds in proper British form. I'm all right. 
and uh, then it is they, very British here. Yeah. They come back to the ruin where everyone was. Uh, Turlo's gotten everyone on board the Trion ship. <laughs> Talk to we've we've already met this this Trion Pratt and his jumpsuit, who's apparently who, some who kind just of just happened to be on the TARDIS. Like that's the first time we see him, which is so weird. And I don't want to go too hard. Like it's, he's done, he's done he's there for two scenes, but he comes into the TARDIS one, which is like okay, fair enough. Turlo left the door yeah. open, but he just has no reaction whatsoever. To this being a, a a TARDIS and bigger inside than outside, he's just kind of like concerned with Turlo and his role in the show of you know being the triumph yep. guy who rescues everyone. That uh, reminds me that Perry is sort of robbed of her moment of it's bigger on the inside, right? Because she's fair. brought in there unconscious. That never happened. She just true. sort of accepts it. Yeah. I, that never occurred to me. That's true. She's just kind of there, and she's like, "Oh yeah, you know, this is this is the TARDIS." Okay. I mean, I guess really the first TARDIS she's she's more aware of is the Master's TARDIS as a TARDIS, yeah. if you think about it. Uh, like, oh yeah, I, I guess this is just what what things are like. Um, yeah, yeah it's, so, it's it's weird to see her accepting it like that. L- l- luckily, that the the, the Tryon guy is only there for two seasons. Speaking of guys who would not make a good companion, that guy's definitely one. <laughs> Although, if you if you accept that he's come in to to play Pratt, he's do- he does it really really well. Um, and uh, you know the doctor says goodbye to Turlo. It's a big moment. Um, they shake a big hands, moment and and it's done with a handshake, which yeah. is so old. Who it's like the the first five doctors at least were were definitely not huggers. No, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> it does. You also just feel like those two characters. They're not. They're not. I just don't see it. You know what I mean? Like he's not, he's not, yeah. It's not like Tennant and Mickey or whoever. Um, mm-hmm. So he says goodbye. Um, it's it's a uh, fairly nice scene. And it's nice that Turlo very unofficially passes the torch to Perry. You know, he actually says, take care of him. You know, <laughs> and he, she's like, well, yeah. He really does get in the most awful trouble or something like that. It's, yeah. It's a very sort of understated, dry, witty British line. And so... Uh, Perry and the doctor, you know, they hook up, they, uh, get there. She has to just very mild convincing. And honestly, like uh, you got to look at these two people, like Peter Davison, Nicola Bryant in the TARDIS together. And they certainly made more of sort of romantic and take in the new series, but you just think, mm-hmm. oh yeah, those two in that, in that, that phone booth. Yeah, they're doing it. <laughs> For three months, apparently, because that's months. what that's her vacation time that she's got left. She was going to go to Morocco with with random dudes, but now she gets to fly around the universe with a random dude. Yeah, well, it works. It works somehow. So then she has the requisite, you know. Oh, the TARDIS just suddenly moved really quickly, or the shook up, and we all had to hang on to the console room for a second uh, moment at the end. The welcome aboard, Perry. Yes, and there welcome we are. Aboard, Perry. This is what happens. It's a bit of a shaky ride, um, but I'm sure I, it's okay. I won't die in the next episode or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, um, in my mind, there is a whole season, and I think this has been borne out from from uh, from various uh, uh, non-canonical works, novels, big finish stuff. Um, but you know, there's very few times. Not actually, not. There's a lot of times, but then in, in, in more recent Doctor Who, in 80s Doctor Who and John Nathan Turner Doctor Who, there's 
there's not a lot of room between episodes for extra stuff. You know, they kind of really have to sort of shoehorn those those other adventures. And there's places for them, and they kind of make sense uh, when they're written. But it, but there's a great gap, I think, between Planet of Fire and Caves of Androzani. And in my mind, there's there's a lot of adventures between the Fifth Doctor and Perry between those two stories. Uh, mm, that would make sense. So uh, off they go on those adventures, which are either exist in my mind or in those non-canonical uh, spots. And then they, the Caves of Androzani is, is queued up next, which is more desert terrain, which is opportunity for more skin, uh, of course, <laughs> which is all they were thinking about this time. Indeed. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, I'm, I'm I'm really glad that the randomizer took us here for a lot of reasons. I'm glad I got to see the start of Perry again. I'm glad I got to discover how bad her American accent was. Um, glad I got to be reminded of what the end of Turlo's story was. Uh, because I had that, that vague memory that was wrapped up, uh, but not exactly how. Still not 100%, but okay, political prisoner. Supposed to go to prison planet, but now home planet is all groovy again, and they don't have political prisoners so he goes home yeah okay it works so would you say that's satisfying so if you had to choose is this a story is this story a dalek or an ogron (laughs) i'd have to say ogron uh ogron what i I, I thought you said you like it yeah i think in terms i i do somewhat but in terms of i'm thinking in terms of like stream it or skip it i'm thinking of our listeners as people who might be tempted by a good Davison serial and they're wondering should should they watch Planet of Fire um, I think if you if you like you know so bad it's good Doctor Who this might be high on the scale uh, just because moments like the tiny master and the chameleon weirdness um, like it's sort of, it doesn't drag there's a lot going on um, and even though the the sort of the start the sound stuff is weird and not really fleshed out enough, uh, I think if you go in with low expectations, it might be okay. But overall, uh, I guess also if you're watching Doctor Who for the important episodes, like you have to include one where the master maybe dies and companions get swapped. Um, so yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I'll revise it. I'll I'll make it I'll make it half a Dalek. How about that? Half <laughs> a Dalek. It's like a Dalek without the shell. Yeah. yeah. I got you. Can't really, can only exterminate with claws. Um, yeah, it's definitely, for me, it's definitely a Dalek. Um, I definitely would not recommend it to a casual viewer of either the new series or someone who barely knows the old series, like to start with this one. I think this is a, a, a really good Davison era wrap up. I think if you've seen a few Davison episodes, whatever they are, uh, particularly if you've seen Modern Undead, like yeah, definitely mm-hmm. watch Planet of Fire. I think it bookends Planet uh, Modern Undead quite well because you know you get back to that Turlo as being interesting. They even make direct reference to some of the lines. Like there's like the uh, in in Modern Undead, they talk about Turlo's handler being some lawyer uh, or solicitor uh, somewhere in London, and they they actually mention that again. Um, yes, so, Chancery Lane. Yeah, yeah, they even name check uh, a location. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, all that works. Um, I hate what you're saying. So bad, it's good. There, and I think I think that it, that's true, though. It is good. Like uh, that's why I was so into that crazy moment where it's like Tiny Master. Um, it like you know, as as an episode where you get to have like two master reveals, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, and they both kind of work and are shocking 
on different levels. I, I've got to give it points for that. Um, and really just that whole last episode and the darkness where you, you, uh, is very satisfying in terms of a performance and, and sort of challenging the viewer on sort of what they should think of the doctor and what he's doing here. Uh, and that goes even further in the next episode, of course, but, um, it's, I, I, if you want to see how uh, oversexed the classic serial could get while they play everything completely chaste, um, they're, they're sort of runs up against the limits of that, I think. Like, this is the most, one of probably one of the most skin-filled episodes of Doctor Who that isn't even, you know, trying to be saucy in any way. Um, but it is, it is definitely, as the kids would say these days, thirsty. Yep. Come for the time travel. Uh, stay for the skin and sex toys. Uh, that's a that's a tagline for this uh, episode. If I've ever, <laughs> it's just as yeah, good we, as the master. Has, I think we definitely cemented this this podcast being PG thirteen. Yeah, uh, this yeah. episode. We might we might have to drop that every own label. Um, all right. Okay. Well, that was Planet of Fire. Good chatting about it with you. Um, what? Will our next episode be, Chris? What do you think? Should oh we fire goodness. up the randomizer? Let's do it. Okay. All right. uh, are you doing it or should I? Uh, why don't you do You've got the technology, man. Uh, your, All right. your browser, I think, is a little more up-to-date than I am. I've got to update things. So we need, things we need a random number between 1 and 28. Uh, 38. So, 38. Uh, so we have 26 of the Sorry, original uh series the og seasons are 26 and then there's 12 of the new series so we got 38 seasons of doctor who right and county and we are including the tv movie as the last serial of the uh mccoy right. Sylvester mccoy era season 26 so okay generate 20 is the 20 oh 20. wow we're, wow. we're still in davison okay yeah Wow, I, I, embarrassment okay. of riches for me. Go ahead. I've, I've got season. Oh, so we have one. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, including the five doctors. So we have Arc of Infinity, Snake Dance, include... Modern Undead, Terminus, it... Enlightenment, Kings, Demons, and the five doctors. Oh, my goodness. So many it good ones. It would be so weird. It would be so weird if we went to Modern Undead right? after this. That'd be a weird bookend, uh, reverse bookend. So seven of them. What do we got? Let's do it. All right. Min one, max seven, generate six. The King's, the King's Demons! Demons. <laughs> Not... wow. wow. The randomizer wow. loves chameleon. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. Wow. You know what? <laughs> that there's the, You've heard of the chameleon curse, right? No. Where everyone who worked on that prop in some fashion... Uh, or had some to, something to do with it. It's 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 like King Tut's tomb. They all died oh my God. within uh, a certain number of years of of that happening. The only person who survived apparently is like John Leeson, um, the oh voice of K nine, who obviously lived a long life. And uh, other than that, like it it was it was a it's a cursed prop. So in addition to being the terrible thing that was unwieldy and didn't really work on set. Um, it, it it killed people. <laughs> wow! I just I got I got chills. The, the randomizer is trying to kill us. Well, I really hope after we do this <laughs> next podcast that uh, we we survive to to do a third uh, uh, in this new reboot of Pull to Open, um, which you have been listening to. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Yeah, well, it, it is at least just two parts, so it's it's a nice, easy lift. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. All right, man. Well, thanks for um, hanging out with me on this Saturday to uh, to chat some who. Uh, and thank you, thank you, listeners, for uh, tuning in. Uh, if you have not yet subscribed to Pull to Open, please do. Uh, we are a podcast. Uh, in, in case you didn't know, uh, we're also available on Apple, Spotify, Google, all the fine podcast services. Uh, please go ahead and leave a review if you like. Uh, every review, of course, helps our show reach more people uh and we'd love to hear from all of you so matter no matter what you think of our uh, ramblings about the show uh so go ahead leave a review you can follow chris or myself on twitter you can follow the show on twitter at pull to open 63 um or instagram we're also at pull to open 63 hopefully you see some more content there soon leave us a review hit us up on the socials uh or you know just say hi when you see us uh, on your next zoom call yeah, and we will we will keep this thing going regardless. I think this is a very very strong theme for our podcast. I'm very excited about where we go next after the King's Demons. So uh, yeah, listen along. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at FutureBoy. Uh, Pete, your I Pete am Michelle. Pete Paschal, P A C H A L. Yeah, looking forward to it as well. It's going to be great. We have all of time and space everywhere and anywhere. Any Doctor Who where episode you want to go, go to. And I honestly can't wait to be challenged by a missing episode. We'll see what, when that happens. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure we'll it out. For that. That's exciting. We're definitely not saying no to him. You know, we'll figure it out somehow. Agreed. Um, but uh, this has been great. Peace, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.